Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast. I'm your host, Adi Bulubasis, joined by Lambro Sirmos and Costa Levoyanis. We're all here enjoying a wonderful, wonderful 3-0 friendly win against our northern rivals. Balk, how do you boys feel today? Feeling good? Costa? I am, I, Costa, please go first. <laughs> very, very happy. I'm ecstatic. 3-0 is... You can never have enough triades in your life, guys. You can't, especially when it comes from a rival. Love it. Love it. Right. I Can I say something real quick? Pablo Garcia kisses from Gate 7 International Podcast. <laughs> I missed your interview on Nova Sports. I didn't, I didn't see you. Some people are saying you walked away. I didn't see that. It's fake news. We all know. You're always in front of the cameras, good or bad. You would never walk away from the cameras, Pablo. You're the tough man, ready to punch people. Good man, Pablo. Good, but you're just like our good friend in Brazil right now, always giving us the best results. Cheers. I hope you stay long and I mean, forever. I mean, what did the guy expect that we were gonna, you know, go over there and give him some flowers? There were just some people there reminding him that the school ended three nil. I mean, what's what's the problem? oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it was a good game and uh we did have our fair share of making fun of pablo garcia but let's get on to it you guys might notice we're missing our good friend peter again um peter is scholar phd and unfortunately phd students have to teach kids once in a while so peter's doing it for the children we're not going to begrudge him that. You'll see him this weekend. Anyway, let's get some quick housekeeping out of the way before we get into the content. First, as you all know, our first episode of February is going to feature the president of the Olympiacos Washington, D.C. Soccer Academy. That's Harry Kara George. We're going to congratulate them again on making it into the United Premier Soccer League. Hopefully, guys, we're going to see that Greek, that Greek-American or American player playing in Greece for Olympiacos. Hoping, fingers crossed, a few years from now that that's going to happen. Uh, the episode that's going to air February 17th, we're going to be joined by the guys from the PSV podcast, and we're going to do some pre-match for that first round of our Europa League knockout. And then lastly, thank you again to our sponsor, Piraeus International. Piraeus International has been importing and exporting cargo for companies and individuals for over 40 years. They can assist you in importing olive oil, marble, or any other goodies from Greece. They can also assist in exporting whether you have one box or a full household of items that need to be sent over. Check them out at www.piraeusintl.com and give them a call at 410-675-4696. Now, Lambro and Costa, we've got some news. What do you got for us? Okay, so I'll start us off with the news. As everyone knows, Socrates Papasathopoulos is in red and white. Honestly, it's kind of surreal seeing him in the colors of Olympiacos and just walking around Retney. I don't know if you guys saw that like first video thing and yep. him saying hello to everyone, him going up to Oleg thinking he was a Greek youngster and speaking Greek to him as well. That was hysterical. <laughs> Oleg was just like, uh, see, good stuff. Anyway, I, I don't know if you guys have some comments just uh, about it. The discussion Marinakis and Socrates had, the statement they had, I thought was a really nice statement actually by Marinakis, that statement like, we don't have a ton of Greek footballers who are well-known abroad, have played in the biggest league, played in Champions League. Everyone in England knows him, everyone, blah, blah, blah. 
just respecting these footballers because we don't have a lot of them and showing them the respect they deserve in Greece, blah, blah, blah. They know football. They played the highest level. It was a very nice statement from him. Just other stuff. What do you guys think about Socrates? If Socrates was ever going to join any Greek club, it was going to be us. It's been brewing for a really long time since, uh, well, in particular, the game that we had against Arsenal last year. And we all know that he's very close with Torosilius and with Avram. So to me, it's it's not a huge surprise, uh, but um, but if you look at the com- at the competition and the other teams that were in for him, it again kind of goes to show the the level and and stature that the club has achieved in Europe over the years, and the fact that we are a league uh, in a league of our own in Greece we we go beyond the Greek league and we're able to attract players like that who let's not forget Socrates had a contract of about two and a half million euros per year at Arsenal and he's come back to us and he's dropped his wage demands to about 1.4 so we're the only club that could attract him to come back to Greece in terms of our stature our reputation um our our brand name in europe and uh and also from a financial point of view we were able to to offer him an interesting financial package and uh and it's a transfer that that makes sense for us in the long term as well samedo is not going to stay with us forever he's greek this is important in the dressing room he he knows what olibiakos means he knows the pressure and uh you know finally the guy has always had a warrior mentality and I think that fits very well with with the club, who we are, how we play, and what fans expect. So I'm I'm very happy with the deal. I think it's a great bit of business for us. If you can't beat them, join them. Socrates couldn't beat us at Arsenal, so he came to join us. Hey, maybe some of his friends from there, from that small club in England, will see the light also, have a better life in Greece, you know, join the club that they can't seem to do much against in Europe. It'll be better for them. Uh, I think that Socrates is also a much needed personality in the dressing room and on the field. When you see us having those first, kind of like with today, first 15 minutes, a slow 15, slow 20 minutes. Socrates is a guy that's a leader and a vocal leader on the field. You know he's going to be screaming at the players if they're not playing up to the level that he knows they can play at. Yeah, I think that's a great point. But, you know, we, we can't be puffing our chests out and saying there's only one team in Greece. Of course, Ike made that fantastic offer that they even had to release a press statement <laughs> saying they made the greatest offer, but they withdrew the offer. That's right. They weren't rejected. They were withdrew their offer. Melisandis is so happy he doesn't have to pay that offer. Anyway, yeah, no, I, I, I texted you guys the same thing. I'm super excited for the leadership skills of Socrates coming to the team because I feel like we're missing that leader. I don't think Buhalakis is that leader. And let's be honest, I think the leader almost has to be Greek in this group. I don't see any of the foreign players rising up to it. And I don't see Buhalakis in that role. I don't see Fortunis in that role. Vrusai is very young. Andruzzo is very young. So he can be that leader. He can be the captain, you know, the person who would be wearing the captain's armband today. I'm not I'm ecstatic with the move, to be honest. I would not be surprised to see him as one of the captains next year or in the For years sure. to come. Absolutely. And with that, there's another centre-back going out. Papa Boussissé has reportedly loaned, been loaned out to St. Etienne in France in Ligon. 
he's flying to France tomorrow morning. This morning, if you're listening, when you are probably listening, there's a 13 million euro buyout option. Doubtful that they can activate that. And I kind of want to take a moment to just talk about Cissé and the love he has shown this club, the fight he has shown this club, and the love he's shown to the fans. And he's really accepted the culture here. And maybe he hasn't turned into that wonder kid when he first arrived in 2017. We thought he would be, or we didn't think he was going to, he proved that to us. He made us think that he deserves all the love from Olympiacos fans because he was that light when there was no light almost. He was scoring headed goals against Panathinaikos when Euros, Djurjevic, and Cardoso, not Cardoso, but all those useless strikers couldn't score. And he was the one grabbing the, the jersey. And he's the one who welcomed Madi Kamara into the team and Ba into the team. He deserves credit. And he, he, he's been a great soldier for this club. And just all the respect and love to him. Good luck. He's been a wonderful player for us. And I don't, you know, it's quite possibly not the end of the journey for him with us because the 13 million option is very high. Although if he makes some good performances, there are already clubs or other clubs in France that were looking at him. So uh, the loan deal might finish, but there might be interest from other French clubs or other clubs uh, across Europe. There were some English clubs interested in him last year. Um, but, but overall, as you said, Labro, he's been a great servant to the club and you know we've had our ups and downs in the last couple of years and he's always been you know during those harder times over the years he's been he's been a a shining light you could say you know is this this young skinny tall kid that came in four years ago and broke into the first team really under Lemonis if I remember well and you know got those got key goals uh, let's not forget the the goal he scored at Arsenal that set us on our way last year. And just, he always had this exuberating kind of um, ability, both both in terms of, you know, his his, uh, his ability on the pitch, but off the pitch as well. He had this really big personality. He's always smiling. Um, you know, not, not, and he's maybe a goofy guy off the pitch, but on the pitch, He's had some really great games. Uh, he's been inconsistent. And uh, I personally think that after four years, we got the most we could get out of him. I don't know how much more he can develop in Greece. I think he needs to go abroad if he wants to develop more. And overall, I think it's a good deal for us and it's a good deal for for him. And I think we'll, we'll make some money out of this in the summer. I agree 100%. I mean, it's a great... Look, 13 million, it's a good buy for St. Etienne as well. He's, he just turned 25 years old in September. 13 million is great for them. This is a, definitely a panic loan for them. They are in relegation territory in the French League. And he is going to a team whose center backs rate among the worst center backs in the French League. So their, their duo, their defense is just poor. Their center back duo, uh, based on the metrics, are, again, like I said, they're among the worst in the league. So he's going to be an instant upgrade for him. He's got size. Uh, he is great in the air. And he's solid overall. You know, the one thing you just have to manage is some of those in-game kind of like, oh, shit moments where he does something kind of dumb or sticks a foot out lazily. But he'd be an instant upgrade for them. Uh, assuming they don't get relegated, I think they, they, they could buy them. And then depending on how the media rights deal auction goes on with the league, whether or not they get a better deal than what Kanopoulos offered. If they're getting more than 70 cents to the dollar from that, 
media pro deal, then I think they're going to spend the money and they're going to buy him out for 13 million. Interesting. So moving on some transfers in, we're linked with two wingers. Um, the first is Brazilian of Wolfsburg, uh, João Victor. He seems in the running and a lot of media types and Grace seem to say he's almost a ready option to come in on the wing. Unclear how true that is. You know, it's the last week of the tr- last four days of the transfer window, I have to say. So we'll know at the end of this weekend, probably by all the transfers. Another name which kind of popped out of nowhere this morning, I want to say, is a guy named Matko Miljevic, born in Miami, Florida, in the USA, but is of Argentinian nationality and plays for well, what is the team's name? Uh, Atletica Argentinos? No, Arge- Argen- Argentinos Juniors. Yeah. Argentinos Juniors. I'm not very familiar with it, but supposedly he's a top prospect. They flew in his dad and his manager to negotiate. It sounds like he's maybe one for the future, I would assume, but Nicolo Copolos, our favorite source. Shake my head. I'm shaking my head. You, you all can't see that says that he's likely to come in and stay. So we'll see. Who knows? Well, he's a highly rated youngster right now for the U.S. men's national team. And here you go, guys. We might already have our American player coming to play in Greece. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's him. We just have to change his life. Well, the, the crazy thing is he's got like almost a Balkan last name and first name. So it's interesting. He's got this American, Argentinian, Balkan thing going. Anyway, I don't know. if. Yeah, just weird. I re- I read that his mother is Croatian, ah, so he does sense. have some heritage from from the Balkans. But um, I don't know. It's a bit of a weird sign. Uh, a weird signing. I don't know if it's going to go through. But he's he's nineteen years of age. They were talking about a two million euro signing fee. I don't think even Rivaldo had a two million euro signing fee. Um, so it sounds like almost Maxi Lovera two point right? Then we pay almost three million for him. Three and a half. Yeah, it's exactly. three and a half for Maxi. But yeah, the last player we signed from Argentinos Juniors. Here's a fun fact: it was Leonel Nunez. So this was the the fat, chubby Argentinian striker that we signed. <laughs> He's uh, well remembered for an amazing scissor kick that he scored against Panathinaikos in a four nil victory in the cup. Some of you might remember that. Lamana Lua Lua also scoring an amazing goal from outside the box. Um, but yeah, that's the last player we signed from Argentinos Juniors. But it's a, a bit of an odd one. I'm not sure if that one's going to go through. And if it does, I think it will be more for our for, for our youth team, or at least that's how it was reported. But but really to pay somebody a two million euro signing fee to go and play for the youth team um, doesn't make a lot of sense. And I personally, after after Bruma's performance today or recently, and 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 Vrusai's recent performances. Us being 15 points ahead in the league, do we really need a winger? Uh, I don't know. Unless it's a really, really great option, you know, a really good deal bargain and better than all the wingers that we have now, we don't need a winger. Rangelovic out of the squad today. Don't know what that means. Maybe that we're linked to two wingers and him out of the squad. Who knows? And supposedly the club highly rates the Xiao Victor of Wolfsburg. We'll see. Talking more about Argentina, Maxi Lovera looks like he's out the door with Racing Club and Argentina seen as the favorite. 
Rio Ave as well as in Portugal as well in Portugal is also sounds like there are no negotiations but racing club seems to be the one will be disappointing for sure it's going to have a buy option for sure and disappointing maybe ends to Maxi Lovera's career in Greece with Olympiacos and that's going to be that's going to be a purchase it's not a loan right yeah, or it's going to be, you know, it's like all options these days in the coronavirus market. So it's probably going to be a loan fee with a purchase, yeah. which they expect to purchase. And moving on, Granada has actually come in and inquired on the status of Pepe. And they've supposedly already laid on the table three and a half million euros, which I believe is the fee we paid for him. I wonder if the club pays for that. I don't think we're in position to give him up. I personally don't want to see him go. I think he deserves the rest of the second half of the season where we've locked up the championship. He can play no pressure in those playoff games, you know, how we did at the comeback of coronavirus. I, I don't know if you guys remember, but it was almost like friendly games when we would go to Creed and we'd play with Ike and it was just second team players almost at that point by the end. Hopefully he can get run out in those games. And also, I don't think we're too deep at the position. Moving on, Sudani looks like he's been let go, I think. I think he's been, they've literally just written his contract off and he's been let go on a free. And it sounds like he's heading back to Croatia. Of course, he had a strong career with Dynamo Zagreb, a player who gave so much to his last season up until the injury. Sad to see him go out like this, but he really hasn't been the same since the knee injury, we can say. For certain, that speed that he had last season seems to not be there. Moving on, Kuipers, actually. We've heard a lot of rumors for Hugo Kuipers that he was on the outs. Larissa, some clubs abroad, Girona, I believe, in Spain, Standard Liège, and, and others were also looking at him. He has actually been informed by the club that we're going to be needing his services with Mitroglou going to Aris. He's going to have to, <laughs> I don't know if that was the reason he's staying, but we're going to say that's the reason he's staying with Mitroglu going to Addis. He, don't cry, Labro. Don't cry, Labro. I, I was tearing up. I was tearing up. Stay strong. Anyway, so he will be staying. So hopefully we can see him play, maybe even this weekend or next week against Panatolikos. Moving on to the more, more another story for us, Andruzos. This is very interesting, actually. So Andruzos reportedly had agreed to leave for Venlo. The club, Yorgos Yakumaki, scored four goals today with today and a hat-trick last week, I believe. He agreed to leave, but Martins was so impressed with his performance at Panatolikos. He was like, okay, we're going to keep this kid for another game. We're going to see how he does in the league at right back. And he performed well again. So he told Andruzos, you're not going anywhere. You're playing at right back. So let's hopefully see he starts starting games. Finally, finally, long rack up, wrap up. It's January. Mitroglu has officially signed with Aris. Sad. Marco Livaya has announced on Instagram that he will not be resigning with Ike. He basically said he wants to move on. Melisan Midis, it seems, has made the decision that that means he has he will be sitting on the bench of Ike for the rest of his time there. Very, very Melisan Midis to do that. He's done that a few times before. Also, Kagawa has been signed with Pauk. A lot of people are saying this is a big transfer, but to me, it's a 32-year-old coming from the second division of Spain. I don't know. Anyway, I want to just talk about a few things real quick because on Twitter, 
it has to be said that some comments were made by someone on the podcast account. I'm not saying names. I was a bit MIA because I was moving here in Switzerland. And this just happened to correspond with Mitroglu signing with um, Aris. And a lot of people were fearing the worst had happened to Labro. No, I am here, everyone. I am okay. I love Hugo Kuypers. I'm so happy he's staying. And I'm not sad at all. Are you? You know, the, the listeners can't see the audio, but you were crying when you were talking about Mitroglu. <laughs> you teared up a little bit. I got so. emotional. I got emotional for a second. It's... It's okay Listen, now. You no, know, everyone was worried about you. You know, I just wanted to make sure that everybody <laughs> knew you were okay. That's all I did. Everyone wanted to know you were fine. I let them know. You know, we got a couple of your messages from you. You said you were traveling. I think you were just popping up to make sure we knew you were okay. Potato, potato. It's all right. Honestly, and I want to give a shout out to Fanatos on Twitter, the the Finnish Greek. I think, yeah, I, I believe so. I don't know his like other name on Twitter, but he said something like, the master plan has been organized. Mitroglou gets fit within six months at Aris, comes back to Olympiakos, and wins us the Champions League. Fanatos, that sounds exactly right. I agree 100%. Some of your other tweets we won't be addressing about Pauk, <laughs> but that tweet was very good. I think it's Fetanos. Fetanos? Okay, I'm sorry, Fetanos. Yeah. I apologize. I was just going to say that I wanted to entertain some of the conspiracy theorists as well and say that, you know, we all know that Marinakis called Gary Pidis and told him, you know, I actually signed him, but you can have him on a six-month loan and then you send him back to us when Hassan leaves in the summer. So don't worry, Labro. Everything's, it's, it's all part of the plan. Honestly. And Manolas, yes. Manolas will be back in the summer as well to play next to Socrates. <laughs> don't worry. He, we'll he have, commented we'll, we'll, on his Instagram post. We'll we'll have all the ethnic rejects come back and play for us. So Siovas, Manolas, Socrates. Don't say Samaris. Don't say Samaris. Those don't three. Say Samaris. Those three. Those three. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Socrates, no Manolas, and Siovas. They don't play for the national team. They come play for us. Honestly, I'm and we'll wrong. win the Europa League while the ethnic does nothing in the Euro Cup. Actually, I don't. I I can't wish anything poor. I don't want to wish anything bad. <laughs> also, but uh, you know, we should have mentioned real quick. Sfarnas, look at this man, the best defender in all of Greece. He's got competition now that Socrates is here. John Van Schiff is just going to be like, nope, Sfarnas is still clearly the best Greek defender in the league. That's why he's getting called up. But don't you know, that's why they didn't want to give more than one million for Socrates because they had they have Sfarnas. So <laughs> they, have they, 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 didn't, they didn't need Socrates. Socrates doesn't I, even play for the national team. He's not good enough. Sfarnas exactly, is much better. Exactly. I, I saw a hilarious picture and it was like, why would Ike need Socrates when they have Sparnas? And it was like Sparnas was a gate fence, but there was no fence around the <laughs> gate. <laughs> like ultimate security. You know what we missed an opportunity to do? We never stoked the fires that we are just a podcast planted by Mighty Nike. And this is a concerted effort to turn the diaspora against all the, the Thessaloniki teams and our rivals. We missed that opportunity today after the Bog fan. We got ahead of ourselves trolling, you know, with, with trolling Pablo Garcia, and and we completely forgot about it. The amount of times we've been accused of being funded by Marinakis, which is like, I would, I would love to be funded by Marinakis. <laughs> yeah, a billionaire. I'm, I'm a student living 
in a flat, a small flat in Geneva. Like if he has a few thousand euros a month, he can send me. <laughs> Groceries are expensive here if he's listening. But seriously, the the conspiracies are so funny, especially when we play Pauk and then like on social media, the aftermath is just like, uh, English speaking sounds about Marinakis. It's like, oh God, here we go again. Uh, before we move on to the Bach post game, I wanted to bring up one thing regarding the transfers. Um, we're not, don't expect any money moves. Uh, like Costa said earlier, people seem to forget that the money, that the winnings associated with the Europa League are a fraction of what you get in Champions League. If we beat PSV, our earnings, besides the TV rights, whatever TV rights is, which is minimal, the the winnings we get for making it to the next round is 1.1 million. So that's a winnable thing, but don't expect don't expect us to spend anything more than a million euros or even close to that on anyone, especially if it's not a loan, because getting to that next level, getting to the round of 16 only nets us 1.1. And then even if we get past the next round, Getting into the quarterfinals nets us only an additional 1.5. So if we're looking at this from an optimistic point of view and that we're going to make it to the quarterfinals, our earnings for getting there is 2.6 million in addition to what we've already gotten for getting to the point we have. So it doesn't make sense for us to spend any more money when the real the return on that is very limited. Wait, are you serious? I left my flares at I left Arios Venizelos. I thought there was going to be a bam. Was I mistaken? You already got it. I have to go pick up my flares now? I got to do a coronavirus test. What is this? <laughs> no, but seriously, I completely understand that. Socrates is essentially a bam. That's a great signing. He's going to be here for years, and he's going to have a great impact on the field, off the field. That's good enough for me, honestly. So, I I, And I think I, I'm excited to see maybe if Jao Victor comes in. Almost like Gil Diaz, like, I don't know. Hopefully he's not Gil Diaz, but like coming in mid-season. I, I still think, think we need one more winger, if I'm going to be honest. We can talk about this another time because I really want to get into Pauk, but I'd be happy with Jao Victor and the American-Argentinian 19-year-old. I, I I do want to just say one last thing and uh, wrap up the transfers, and it's regarding Socrates. A lot of people are saying he hasn't played for the last six months. It's going to take him some time. We need to slowly integrate him. And, you know, he's going to play against Panitolikos and that will give him some match fitness. Guys, he's been playing in England. And even in the reserve games that he's been playing at under 23, the level of football and the pace and tempo, even at that level, is much higher than in the Greek Super League. So... Please stop this crap about Socrates needing time. He's gonna he's gonna get going quicker than most people think. Uh, that's a hot take from me. So moving on to the ball game, it was a tough start, very slow start from us. First fifteen minutes, especially maybe even we could say twenty minutes, we were definitely kind of on our heel heels. Balk clearly looked like the team that was more motivated and coming to win the game. Now, beyond that, as we grew into the half, we dominated possession. We started to command more of the ball. And in the second half, again, it was all us. 
possession, maybe in between that 60th to 70th minute, 60th to 75th minute. Um, you could say that they started to to win things back, but then, you know, but beyond that, it 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 was us again. It was a it was a good game. It's frustrating at parts. In that first half, there were really only about two or three players that I thought had a, a good performance. Um, a rare, a rare poor performance in the first half. Uh, from Fortunis, who just had a lead foot. I mean, every touch was going all over the place. Poor passes behind people away. From, that was kind of weird and not usual from him. Um, Oleg did quite well. Um, Invila, Jan Invila was the the primary reason for us diffusing that bulk press. They were pressing so high. They were uh, lots of pressure coming on us. And Jan Invila, one touch interplay with everyone, helping to diffuse that pressure and really keep us into our rhythm. And Bruma, a, a solid game from Bruma again. So first half, I won't say it was a complete struggle, but a little slow to get going, but then a, a better second half performance from us. What did you guys think? Honestly, I just have to say, Isastan, Iste, Kethaiste, Mikriomada, Paukshidas, Padare. Anyway, I just had to get that out of the way. Always, always a small team. They're never going to beat us. God, I, God, I'm so happy right now. It has been, I think Adi was the one who said it. It's been three years. I, I don't even want to talk about the performance like for a quick second. I just want to say how good it feels to beat Pauk at home. I wish that was a packed Kadiskaki stadium. I remember when Bjorn Ingels like scored that incredibly terrible goal to, to win us the game against Pauk in that dreadful season. Just magical. Anyway, on to real, actually important things. I want to say, Ba, Semedo, Sa. Fantastic games from them. I don't know what you guys thought. I thought they were unsung heroes. A clean sheet against Palk. Brilliant stuff. We've conceded, like, is it single-digit goals in this campaign, or is it just above? Very few goals, I believe. They've done a fantastic job. And Semedo, he didn't do anything stupid today, did he? Like, a lot of people were tweeting, like, what a game from Semedo, and I agree wholeheartedly. Like, he pocketed Kremenchek, who I called the the Czech light pole, I think I said. I, I don't know if that was right, but he just, he looked like Victoria Plazen games. Like, I didn't even see him on the pitch, and great work from Semedo. The midfield at times frustrated me, and Via, just top-notch class, like always. Bukalakis had the beautiful assist. But, I will say but, I will say but, the first 30 minutes, like everyone else, he was struggling and was getting on my nerves. So that those were my first takeaways. I could talk about everyone on the pitch tonight. Don't get me started on Rafinha, though. Let's stay positive. We'll get into Rafinha later. On, on my side, I think um, we've talked about the 4-3-3 many times before on this podcast. And the fact that we have difficulty playing that system without the the fast uh, and athletic and fit fullbacks so i won't i won't go into rafinha right now but but it was difficult for us in the first 30 minutes it was very frustrating i completely agree that mvia was probably our probably the unsung hero of the game today and that he was he was solid from the beginning and he helped keep Pauk at bay and i also want to I want to add about, about Jose Sa. He proved again one more time why it is so important to have a good, reliable keeper. He made some really important stops in the first half and the second half, actually, 
uh, in the fourth minute, Kremenchik had a shot that that Sai instinctively saved with the back end of his foot. The ball was going into the corner. So he made some really good instinctive saves with his feet in both the first and second half. And uh, to me, he's he's a candidate for, for man of the match today. But again, you when you have a good and reliable keeper like that, you kind of take that for granted. So he, he has been and still is... Um, He's an absolute key player for us, our keeper. We should not underestimate that at all. Um, other than that, yes, it took us a long time to get going. I agree that not only from Fortunisa uh, was the was the passing bad in the first half. The passing was was terrible in general in the first 30 minutes. And then after 30 minutes, I think Fortunis really actually started to get into the game and we started to see the team creating and moving the ball around and from the 30th minute to the 45th minute we created four chances but we didn't get a shot on target actually until the 45th minute which was a cutback to Fortunis who tried a curler and it went straight at Zivkovic so really the, the the first half was for me something to forget and I think we were all hoping that the team talk uh, would have an impact on the team coming out into the second half and then uh, in the second half, we got the early goal. El Arabi turned it on. There was a magical, magical assist from Bujalinho. Uh, and 1-0, uh, El Arabi reminding us that he is a lethal finisher. And 2-0 was a little bit of luck. And uh, that killed the game, essentially. And uh, and again, El Arabi is involved in, in all three goals. Huh? He gets the goal for the first one. He gets the assist for the second. And for Versailles' goal, it's from a from an El Arabi from an El Arabi forward pass. So he's he's involved in in all the goals today. Uh, good performance. He showed up for, for a big game. I think El Arabi heard Lambro bashing, telling him he doesn't show up to these big games. And you know, in that first half, it was a little shaky because I'm pretty sure in the majority of the first half, El Arabi did not have a positive touch. I mean, we were almost 30 minutes in, and I couldn't recall a single touch when the ball came to at his feet that he either did anything successful with or passed successfully to anybody else. So it was a very poor first half from him up until he gets the goal. And then in the second half, it was a completely different player. I mean, getting involved in buildup, playing both of those balls, I mean, um, he, he showed up, big game, showed up, and he's the, the striker we love. I was questioning whether or not it was a mistake renewing him for 2 million euros. But if he's going to show up to these big games like this and produce and be that hold-up player, amazing hold-up player we had last year, and finish the season out that way, I'm all on board with having him again. Yeah, honestly, those first 30 minutes, I was – first 45 minutes, I'll say – I was ready to come on this podcast and say El Arabi has disappeared in a big game again. He hasn't produced. And even the whole, again, when he's bad, sometimes the hold-up play is really bad. And that's the one thing that frustrates me because I feel like if you're having a bad game, if you're blah, 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 just like please have the hold-up play, you know, hold on to the ball, get a foul, bring the team up, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes he just doesn't do that or he misplaces easy passes off the, mis uh, off the hold-up. But like, He's the best striker in Greece. And some guy said on Nova Sports, as long as he wants to stay in Greece, he'll always be the top scorer. It's hard to argue with that, to be honest with you. 
fantastic. He should have had two assists today. He, if you think about it, he should have had two assists, I believe. Versailles' goal, he went off the post, and then it rebounded back to him, and then for the for the second goal to Matty, right? So just a fantastic game from him and just a class above the Kremenchiks, the Svidarskis, and the Cholaks of the world who are nothing players. Just And the Makedos, you can say, for, for all the Panathinaikos fans. I think he's one of the best finishers we've seen in a very long time. Sort of akin to Darko Kovacevic, perhaps, if I could compare him to a former striker that we've had. He's just clinical in the box, and that's what you expect from him. When he, when he gets the ball in the box and he's one-on-one, you expect him to score. If he doesn't score, you start swearing at him because you just expect nine, nine out of ten he's going to finish it, whether it's with his head, with his left foot, his right foot, he's going to finish. But I think we saw in the first half that he was, uh, he was fulfilling a, a very frustrating role. He was alone up front. There was no one close to him. Camara wasn't really in the game. Fortunis wasn't in the game until after 30 minutes, and he had nobody to, to help him. And I saw him a couple of times have touches... Um, uh, below the halfway line and heavy touches as well like uh, like I think Ali was was insinuating like his touches were poor and uh, I mean that's when you see a striker get frustrated when you see him going back behind the halfway line to get a touch so it was a very difficult time for him in the in the first half but in the second half he got the ball in the box from that great pass and he did what he does best and uh, if you feed the striker he will score this guy will score and I agree with a lot of the the pundits that are saying, you know, this guy, this guy can play in the Greek league for another couple of years and be, be top scorer every year. And let's not forget, guys, these 34, 35, 36 year olds that we have, they've had no preseason this year. They've had no preseason, and that is something we should not forget. Yeah, and I, I just want to say, just a great performance by him, and honestly, he is a class above, and. Sabrakos, Themis Kesaris, Diamantopoulos, all of the journalists who we we enjoy to read, listen to, rate El Arabi. And that, that tells you a lot. How many terrible strikers have we had in the past few years, you know? Like, how long has it taken us to find one who is the top scorer? Like, I guess the closest we got to was Karim Ansarifat, I want to say, maybe. And, and since then... What is it, Mitroglu and Ansarifar? Is that would that be it? Am I missing some? Anyway, just so like me complaining and about him not showing up on the big games. Well, I'm in. I'm not going to call myself an idiot for that, but like, I don't want to be out there looking for a new striker when we have one who scores five, six, seven more goals than any other striker in the league at this point, because. It took us six or seven years to find this striker, so let's hold on to him and ride him until he's done. Like I'll pay him two mil- Marinakis, I should say, should could pay him two million a year. Well, that's what the extension was for. The extension was for one year and two million euros. And you know, he's as long as he's going to show up, even if he has a slow first half, he's, if he's going to show up and get the job done, I love it. I mean, think about it in Greece, in the Greek Super League. He is going to be on uh, 15 goals and two assists now with the games today. So 15 goals and two assists. And that's in that's in a total of uh, 1,341 minutes. That's an incredible conversion rate. He's basically at a goal 
we could say a goal a game or uh, with including the assists, a point a game and or a, a contribution to a point per game, which is incredible. And I do want to point something out because every time we've had a striker or a winger that has scored 20 goals in Greece in a season, he has left the club. He's been sold. Just going to point that out. I know he's 33 years old, and that's probably not likely. And he's turning, I believe he's turning 34 come March, if I remember his birthday correctly. It was some, I think it was in March. Um, so he's going to be turning 34. So I doubt that a sale would be in the cards at his age. But every player we've had that's hit 20 goals in a season has left. In his brownie day went for like 14 million, 13 million to the Chinese, and he was terrible. I think a Saudi or Middle Eastern team, if he really wants to get a Guillerme last last contract, as we were calling it this summer, he could very well easily do that. And I think they're willing to cough up the money as well. I kind of want to change topics. Let's get into the fullbacks. Oleg, the most exciting, just like breath of fresh air we've ever seen. And then on the right side, Rafinha, Adi, Costa. I'll let you guys start because my opinion is kind of known on this. I mean, well, Costa and I talked about in that brief wrap-up we did um, in the that sec that double feature we did with the, the pair interview and then the cup game and post-match with Atromidos. He looks like he's been part of the team and he's playing well, moving well. I mean, just doing so much for the team. And overlaps on overlaps on overlaps. This kid can run all day and he's fast as hell. I love it. And, you know, his, we've talked about his technicals, you know, that they can use a little bit of work, but I didn't see too much issue today. And it worked out pretty well. I mean, he was one of the, really the, the few, one of the few Olympiacos players in the first half that I thought was actually having a positive performance. Flip side, let's look at Rafinha. Rafinha pissed me off in the first half. He was poor. I mean, especially with the ball at his feet giveaways, stupid decisions. I mean, I don't understand. It's, it's, it's elementary when you are a wingback or a fullback playing out wide and you get closed down by two people. You do one of two things. You're getting closed down in your third of the field. You pass the ball back to the keeper. Or if you're further up the field, you have no option. You hit the ball off the person in front of you and draw a throw in. That's what more skilled players will do. But what does he do instead? Passes the ball into somebody instead, into an opposing player. He did that a couple of times today. Incredibly frustrating. A veteran player of his stature should not ever do that. And defensively, I thought the defensive part of his game was better than the offensive part of his game. But against a team like Bauk, when we're home, you need the offensive part because we kept Bauk off of us and we diffuse their pressure by being offensive by getting the ball shoving it down their throats when we let them stay condensed and just constantly bring pressure we invited it's like it's weird to think because it sounds stupidly simple but when you don't put the pressure on them you invite the pressure to you and we did that by not having a wing back that overlaps when was the first overlap that we saw from Rafinha it was that through ball sent to the corner by four that was the first overlap Rafinha had. Rebchuk had almost half a dozen, maybe even more than half a dozen overlaps until that point. It's ridiculous. 
think that was the thirty-third minute, actually, that through ball into Rafinha, and then the the cutback cross into Bruma, which was blocked. That was the first chance we created all game, actually. Yep. That was the first time we broke down the defense and created a situation where we had space to create. Um, so, yeah, that was the first time he overlapped during the game. But I, I want to take a step back a little bit and kind of contextualize because in the summer when we signed him, he was filling in a, a huge gap for, for our captain. Let's not forget Omar Abdelawi, who'd been with, with the team for six seasons. Um, that's no small feat and not an easy player to, to replace. But I do remember there was a big discussion that, uh, or rather there was a big discussion about whether or not this was a, an upgrade to Omar. And there, were, there was definitely, a, I would say, a, a rather large crowd who, who would have, you know, who agreed at the time that this is an upgrade. We bought in a player with a huge amount of experience. I played for massive clubs, won the Champions League, I don't know how many times. And with his experience alone, he could come in and do a job. Again, I think we underestimate the impact of COVID, the lack of preseason when it comes to him. Uh, but frankly, uh, having reached yeah, the end of January now, and we're at this stage in, in our season, my, my opinion on, on this guy is basically, okay, we have him until the end of the year. Um it is what it is. I'm not. I'm really not expecting a lot from him when he's on the pitch. I expect him to help with the build-up, but I don't. I don't expect a lot. Um, for me, it's been a bit of a flop signing because for the money he's getting, it could have been spent better for me. Even if it was a free transfer, maybe it makes economic sense because of COVID and the way it's impacted the economy and for the football teams, but. But yeah, contribution on the pitch. We need to start looking for a new right back or really, yeah, look at Andrutas as an option this season. And I know that's something we're going to get into later. Well, it, it, the thing with Rafinha is, is that he's occupied a really different role, right? Not necessarily that his play the entire season has been poor because remember, he has been a leader in link-up play for us almost all season. Uh, and if he's not the leader, he is always one of the top two or top three in terms of link-up play. He occupies – exactly. He's averaging almost double the touches Omar had. Uh, and in turn, when it came to things like crosses, early on, Rafinha was averaging more crosses per game. The volume was higher. But where were those crosses coming from? They were coming from ahead of the 18. They weren't where – they weren't like crosses that Omar was getting on an overlap further down the line closer to the end line. His were further up. So there's a little bit of context there. So in that, in terms of that production, it was, it was contextually, you could say, better. Uh, maybe some people wanted the crosses to come further up. Then you could say it was worse. But he occupied a completely different role than Omar. And I think had we actually had an overlapping wingback on the left side, his performances on the right may not have seemed so bad. But because we had two wingbacks now that were are past their prime, that don't overlap, it just made the whole thing seem worse. Look at today. Oleg was overlapping constantly. So we had one we had one wing back that was overlapping a lot. We had one staying back that was still pretty heavily involved in link up. It didn't seem quite as bad. We were watching for it. We were watching it. But if you weren't paying attention, 
we probably wouldn't have noticed that he was having as bad of a game as we're saying, because you probably weren't paying attention to how many overlaps he was having, which were maybe one or two versus Oleg on the other side. But that's because Oleg was doing it. So I think we would have a very different opinion on Rafinha now if we've had if we would have had an overlapping wingback on the left side the whole time. I think part of that contextually is why Rafinha, you know, a lot is looked at on Rafinha and Holebas because we had a higher bar set for Rafinha and he didn't meet that expectation. Whether it was fair or unfair, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying there was a bar set. We thought he was going to be here and he turned out to be a couple pegs below versus Holebas, who we expected absolutely nothing from and then kind of went above our expectations because we brought him in as a rotation player, not a starter, and he was forced to play as a starter day in, day out of his age. So that's probably why it's more acceptable for Holebas than it is for Rafinha. That's that's kind of the issue there with him. Honestly, and also I I have to say, Oleg, just this... God, what a... What a what great early days results like not having to see Jose Holebas play every single game is such a breath of fresh air. Like I couldn't believe I would be saying that in August, but him playing every single game, but it's, it's just great. And my view on Rafinha is I, I, I just expected more from such an experienced player and we didn't get it. And maybe that was bad because my expectations were so high and maybe that's my own fault, but it's bad for me to say, but I, 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 I see these upcoming league games and I hope Coach Martin sees them too as training for PSV. The crazy dream that Olympiacos fans sing is to go far and to take a European title. So, like, can we train for this? Can we get Andruto's minute that right back to see if he can do it against PSV? I don't know what you guys think about that. That's getting away from this game. We can talk about that on a later podcast, but I would love to see some things tried out in these games in February to get us ready for PSV. For me, for me, there's a clear answer to that, and it's yes. If Andruzzo hasn't been loaned out, or if he doesn't get loaned out during this window, and if Drager is being you know, dropped from the matchday squads, then it seems to me it might be on the cards already. And we talked about it earlier on today that he's not being sent out on loan because he's performed well the last two games. Now, I think uh, the coach has a duty to give him some priorities, you know, some prioritization until the end of the season, give him the opportunity to show what he can do at right back. And, uh, you know, that's a, a great story for Andrutos. He's had a, a complicated career, I would say, still young, started as a striker, went back to number 10. And became a number eight. And now he's being played at right back. But uh, yeah, Ari and I discussed this on the last podcast as well. He's got the technical ability to control the ball well, to pass the ball forwards, play through balls, cross the ball when he gets up uh, onto the byline. He he has the pace, the stamina to run the line. So f for me, I'm I'm excited to see him more, and I've been quite impressed with him the last couple of games. Uh, Atromitos is a de decent side, huh? it's a decent Super League side, and uh, he did he didn't put a foot wrong against Atromitos the other day away in a complicated fixture for us historically, and um, I I want to see more of him playing right back with the first team. Yeah, and before we start to move on to the men of the match and grades, I want to shout out one more player and kind of get real quick thoughts. Bruma, guys, 
that was a good game from him. No, that was hit the post two or three. Was it twice or three times almost? He was offside for one. Incredibly unlucky not to score. Good energy, good runs. He was pushing the lines. That also reminds me, Mari Kamara, fantastic game as well. Just another one of those players you just forget to mention because we expect him to play so good. But anyway, Bruma, any thoughts on him? Just real quick before we go to man of the match and coach's grade. Yeah, I thought this was a, a, a good game from him. You know, uh, Costa and I talked about the Atromedos game, how he was kind of, we thought he was doing the right things. He was making the right moves, but we didn't see him imposing himself on the game, especially in the first half. And then the thing is, you know, in the discussion we were having was, is this a six and a half million euro player? And today he played well. He did great things, some great moves, solid in link up, uh, right moves. Technically, again, I still think he's not technically as sound as like a guy like Joel Campbell, but I always refer back to that. Joel Campbell was a six million euro winger and we didn't spend the money on him. If we can get that price down from PSV to like two or three million, three million I think is a fair price. I would still take him, but at, at six and a half million, to me, he's still not a six and a half million dollar man. I think you hit the nail on the head. I don't think he's uh, he's a good player, and uh, he, yeah, he could have scored a couple today, and he's been scoring consistently the last few matches. He's getting more involved. But I'm still not convinced he's worth six and a half million. And I also agree there's there's going to be a bit of horse trading in the summer, I think, to try and see if we can get his price down. But uh, let's see. First, we need to knock out PSV. Then, you know, if PSV uh, still holds it against us and they don't they don't accept a lower fee in the summer, then then what can I say? Yeah, six and a half million for Bruma still. I'm still not sold right now. And now let's do the coaching grades and the man of the match. I'll start with you, Adi. What do you think? So for me, I'm going to say in terms of the coaching grade, um, I'm always very hesitant with the 4-3-3. And it started off pretty slow. But in the end, I think the 4-3-3 the did what it was supposed to do. There were a couple substitutions I maybe didn't necessarily disagree with. But um, the impact after the substitutions, we ended up getting two more goals and really just taking control of the game. So I don't think I necessarily can negate Martin's performance for that. So, um, you know, it, it worked and the things had impact. So if it didn't have impact, this would be a different story. So I'll give him an A. I'll give him an A for this game. We didn't start off so well, but we grew, we grew into the game. Martin's, of course, shuffles during the game, makes some adjustments, and it worked. So I'll give, I'm going to give Martin's an A. And my man of the match... It has to be El Arabi. I mean, he. I. I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have thought he would have been man of the match in the beginning of the first half, or at least 30, 35 minutes into the first half, because I thought he was playing terrible. But he really grew into the game, uh, and because of that, I'm going to give him man of the match, goal to assist. It's hard not to be man of the match when you're involved in every single goal. Yep, same for me. El Arabi's man of the match. He gets the goal, breaks the deadlock gets the gets the assist for the second one and is involved in the third so for me he he's the clear winner for that award uh, for the rest or for Martin specifically same as you Ari I think you you said everything for me uh, it's it's either a you know an A or a B plus I I was really miffed by the 4-3-3 at the beginning of the game 
and uh, and when Fortunis came off in the second the second half before the second goal, I thought, what on earth are you doing taking off our best player? But but in the end, the match it it went in his favour, and it's difficult to kind of criticise him with a three line, uh, sorry, a, a three nil scoreline. Um, but there is one thing maybe I, I I said already, but I want to reiterate it. We got a little bit lucky with the second goal in the in the 79th minute with the deflection and then and then Zivkovic fumbling that for the for two nil, which essentially killed the game. Um, but um, but yeah, it's a solid kind of B plus for me for for Martins today. Costa, I, I think you also had man of the match from your poll. Oh <laughs> yeah. So- <laughs> Okay, so um, thanks to everybody that took part in in the poll that we put out just before the game. So over 200, uh, 200 got involved in that. And I'm just looking for the results. So the results of that poll, we asked you, the listeners, the followers, to tell us who your man of the match was on Twitter. And of course, you know, on Twitter, we can only limit that to, to four options. So... Uh, the four options were El Arabi, Bukhalakis, Jose Sa, and the fourth option, the Joker, was Yamena Kerdiso Pauk. So, uh, going backwards, Jose Sa got 7.6% of the vote, and in third place was Bukhalakis. Second place was 38.1% was El Arabi and uh, the trolling wins after a 3-0 victory and Yamena Kerdiso-Pauk wins the Man of the Match award today. <laughs> let, let, let me just explain where the whole Yamena Kerdiso-Pauk thing comes from for those of you that aren't uh, possibly aren't aware. A couple of years ago, you might remember football fans and non-football fans, there was this incident where the Pauk chairman came out with a gun onto the field uh, because he didn't like a, he didn't like an offside decision against his team. Uh, this, made, uh, this made the news across, across the world, uh, not just the football and, and sports news. It was quite a, uh, well, a, a low point for, for Greek football, let's say. And at the end of that game, the manager of Bauk at the time came out and uh, he made this uh, this famous comment, basically criticizing the referees and saying that uh, for me, Bauk won the game. And this became uh, an instant hit in the trolling and, and meme world. So yeah, we're just riding the wave on that one. So thanks to, thanks to everybody who who took part in the vote and uh, I hope Balk fans, I hope you can, you can take the banter on the chin. Well, honestly, that, that was my man, man of the match, Luchescu, Balk, former coach. Anyway, um, man of the match, I'll go, I'll go El Arabi as well. And the thing holding me back from the A, actually I'll just go A minus, is Andruzos. I, I really wanted to see him play today. I understand why he didn't play. I hope he plays on the weekend. Maybe it was for the better. Honestly, though, Rafinha tracking back as well was jogging a few times and looked out of it in the second half. I would have brought Andruzos on as well. Who am I to complain? 3-0. We just won the league, essentially. Screw it. A. I'm happy with it. Well, now we're going to move on to the fan questions. Uh, the first first question we had came from our good friend and very frequent special guest to the pod, 
uh, Stephen Koduru. And Stephen Koduru asked what our thoughts were on Fortunis on the wing tonight. Was it effect? Was it effective enough? Uh, Costa, go ahead and start. Hey, like I said earlier, I, I don't think he came into the game until after the 30th minute. Uh, I think um, what I like about Fortunis this year is that he's, um, I think he's kind of put his ego, he's finally put his ego under the team. And uh, he's been he's been asked to play on the wing a quite a few times this season by, by Martins, whether it's on the left or whether it's on the right. And while I still think he's he is frustrated because that's not his position and he always has the tendency to drift into the center and that's when you see him start to create things. Um, I, I just, I, I want to be positive about this and say that I like his attitude because for me, the problem with Fortunis in, you know, was never his talent and his ability. It was always his attitude. And now I see that his attitude when he plays out of position, it's different and it's more positive and he's not sulking. So, um, yeah, it's not his best position. He's he's a pure number 10. He needs that free role. That's what Per Zetterberg was telling us uh, on on the last, uh, on the podcast that we, uh, when we spoke with him. He, he's that kind of player that he needs a free role on the pitch. And I don't think, you know, that his... His crossing ability is not as good of, as Valbuena's. When, when Valbuena's on the pitch, he does like to occupy that space on the right and play those triangles with the wing back and the centre mids and get those cutbacks from the wing back and then whip the balls in for, for, for the big man or for Masuras or, who, or whoever's running in from the left side. But, but Fortunis doesn't really have that in his, uh, in his repertoire. So... I, I'm happy with Costa. I was a bit frustrated to see him come off after he started getting rhythm in the game, uh, but but again, I wanna I do want to give him props for his attitude this year. Yeah, I agree as well. I, I honestly, I I think that the position Fortuny excels in is almost like you guys mentioned it in your interview. It's almost dying. Like, and the players need to adapt or leave. It's like I always. Maybe this is a mistake, but I almost compare Fortunis a lot to Mezzodozil. I feel like they have similar characteristics. And they can't play on the wing. They can't play deeper. They can't play as a striker, of course. So what are they going to do if they can't play in that classic 10 position? I don't know. I just still feel like it doesn't work in this 4-3-3 for Fortunis. He doesn't produce the same results as Balbuena. And... Okay, that's fine. I, I, we'll, we'll see what we we do in the future. Maybe it just he needs time to adapt, but I don't think it's ever going to work. We've been through this with Chori Dominguez, you know, with, with, with this problem. So we'll see. There is one thing I, I wanted to add. I don't know if you noticed, but for the first goal, he's made that run in from the right-hand side and penetrated diagonally, taken the ball down, then kind of, lost the ball but out muscled Ingerson who's quite a strong player so again that it, it, it again goes to show that he's 
he's worked uh, on his on his strength. And let's not forget, guys, he's coming coming off a very serious injury. We know how hard he worked the last couple of seasons to improve his fitness, to get stronger so that he doesn't get out-muscled or pushed off the ball like he used to a couple of seasons ago. So again, that was just a little thing in the game that you that you notice and you 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 look at how he's how he's grown and uh, become stronger both physically and mentally for me. And that's uh, that's huge for us. Absolutely. The especially, well, to also to see him, how many times have we seen Fortunis when he has a rough go of it, head goes down, and you get nothing out of him the rest of the game. It's just poor. But he was struggling, but he kept going. He kept trying to get involved and put it behind him. And then towards the end of that first half, he I thought he was playing much better. And I thought we were we were seeing more and that he was really going to create something. And that was really the sub that I wasn't on board with getting, you know, taking him out of the game because I thought he was getting into the game that we were finally seeing something good from him. And I thought we were prematurely taking it out, taking him out. But of course, hindsight, you know, now is 2020. It worked out. So I can't say too much against it, but uh, I just wanted to bring up another thing pair said, you know, the modern 10 these days has to be able to play out wide, has to be able to go out wide and then drift in. The modern 10 has to be more versatile, and that's just how the game has evolved. You know, there may come a time where we see the traditional number 10 return. Look at some look at some things that have returned in the modern game that people didn't think were coming, were going to come back ever, like the back three. Uh, when um, when Conte, when he was playing for Juventus, just dominated the Italian league with a 3-5-2. Or, a, you know, some people call it a back five or a back three, three center backs, basically. There are th things that there are things happen and shake up soccer and football strategy constantly. And right now, this is happening with the number 10 position, the traditional 10. It's not I don't want to I don't like saying it's disappearing. It's just changing. There's more being asked of those players. They're being asked to at times go out and go wide because that makes way for more uh, to add another deep-lying midfielder into the mid. And why is that important? The multiple deep-lying middies are important as a result of what Barcelona did to the European soccer landscape. Barcelona, Pep Guardiola and Barcelona's dominance in the, in the, the 2000s through 2010 and, and that era changed the landscape of football forever. The, the triangles, the quick-paced, fast-moving, one-touch broke apart the, oh, everyone runs a 4-4-2, big man, little men set up up front. It destroyed those types of formations and that really, that philosophy that dominated football for so long. And it forced everybody to make adjustments to nullify this quick, high-tempo, fast-paced, Spanish-style system. And this is the result now. This is the result that we're seeing. We're seeing the not the elimination, but more the adjustment of the number 10 position into something that's more of like a hybrid winger attacking midder thing where you need to be able to go out wide, but then still come in to be able to produce and then readjust back depending on who the other winger is. It's 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 different. And I'm I'm happy to see that Fortunis is adjusting with it. In this particular game. Back to the question, was he effective enough on this game? Even though I think he started to do well at the end of the game and I wanted to see him continue to play, for the time that he was on the field, I don't think he was effective enough. Again, I would have loved to see him continue to play because I think he was just hitting his stride when he came off. But I don't think his play in on a whole 
from what we saw was effective enough. He needs to be more effective for more of the game. Yeah, I guess uh, another question, if we're just going to do them in order, is comes from Risto Katsifis. <laughs> do you think Rusai gets a JVS call-up? And where is a spot for him in the starting XI? Is there a spot for him in the XI, I would say? Also, finally, second part of the question, he said, also, what other races in the leagues are you closely watching slash silently rooting for now that... I'm going to add this part. Now that Olympiacos has won the title. So a two-parter. I guess I'll start. I would really like to start with this question. Yes, he deserves a start. Left or right wing, anywhere on the field. Right back, left back, striker, anywhere. He deserves to start with Alexandropoulos. Those two months play. Anyway, other races I'm going to follow. I'm excited to see Aris play. Honestly, Panathinaikos is starting to play good football as well. The battle from two to five, Asteras is just there on the edge, but I don't think they're good enough to get into the conversation. It's going to be really fun to watch in the playoffs. And I think Aris may come out on second place. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to follow. My own side rooting for Paziani now to stay up for family reasons. On the bottom half of the table, Larisa. Just a clown show. I'm excited to see what happens there. Anyway, that's that's all I got, guys. That would be fun. Uh, for me, whether or not I think Vrusai gets a call up, I mean, is it? Are we asking what I want or what I think JVS is going to do? Because he does some absolutely mind-boggling things, and obviously, because Vrusai is playing for Libyakos, that's apparently going to be a whole hamper on JVS's decision. You know, is my is are we playing Vrusai enough at Libyakos? for JVS to warrant a call-up for him. Because apparently, remember with Fortunis, that's a metric that JVS has. Have we played him enough? I mean, first of all, without a doubt, the way things have been going for the team, especially on the left-wing position, Brusai should be a starter. He should be playing on that left wing, giving us a direct winger that goes byline to byline, and then it, and then spreads the width of the field. It's ridiculous. He needs a call-up. If he doesn't get called up to the national team, then it's a shocker, and JVS just continues to go down in my book. Uh, as far as the other races in the league, yeah, I'm excited to see more so the the competition for second to fourth. Because remember, the way things are, we're only going to have four teams, I believe, in the in the Champions. Well, one in first round Champions League qualification, and then three in Europa that Europa Conference League qualification. So we're only going to have four teams in Europe. It's going to be a very spicy very spicy end of the season for that second, third, fourth place. I'm excited for that. Yeah, for me on this one, quickly, Frusai deserves a call-up. Absolutely. He was in JVS's first call-ups when he, when he was appointed manager of the Greek national team. So I would be a little bit surprised if he's, if he's not called up. But, but again, uh, I guess yeah, JVS has been known to make some odd decisions um but uh at this point with the national team i i don't want to say i don't care but but uh yeah let's see what happens with the elections in in apple and if anything changes in in greek football and, and the national team let's not go there now maybe another time um am i interested in you know what's going on in the league besides the the remaining friendly games. I mean, sorry, uh, competitive games that we have until the end of the season. Um, I'm I'm excited to see Mitroglou at 
at Aris, and uh, and I have to say I I like uh, yeah sorry sorry to some Olympiacos fans I I I am liking some of the young Greek talent coming through at, Pan at Panathinaikos, uh, so you know props to them and Olympiacos needs a strong Panathinaikos. Panathinaikos is our main rival, always has been, always will be. We, I want them to be strong and I want us to have competition from them. And the national team, I agree completely with the Panathinaikos rival thing. And I, I think people, especially abroad, are losing the rivalry a bit because they're not in the city. But when you live in Athens, you walk around the streets, Panathinaikos is huge and the competition is still huge. We just need them to be better, hopefully, to bring that spice back because Pauk is clearly no competition. Moving on to the next question, it's from Alexander Kutakos, and it says, not related to the game today, but what is your ideal XI for the national team? 11 for the national team. Another national team question. I'll go real fast. Vlahodimos in goal, Andrutsos right back, Socrates center back, Manola center back. Chimikas left back, Zeka central defensive midfielder, Alexandropoulos central defensive midfielder, Zolis, Vrusai, Fortunis, and up top, Yakumakis or Mitroglu. That's it. Wow, you really thought about that one and you came up with that real quick. Did you actually have that pencil down before you? Uh... I, I saw the question. I was like, <laughs> I'm ready to give my, my all. That's that really one. good. That's good. That's good. That was a good uh, a good starting lineup you you uh, you put out there. I'm I'm going to follow you on that. Uh, for me, I mean, I don't think we're going to see Socrates called up to the national team. I think that's pretty clear. But I would like to see Manola come back. Manola with Hadziviakos. I wouldn't mind that as a center back pairing on the right. Based on what we've seen at that position, there's no reason Adruzos doesn't deserve a call up. See him on the right. Uh, we're set at left back, you know, like Super Greek had said on our podcast a while ago, we have an embarrassment of riches over there. Simikas, Yanulis, and then even even that uh, that other kid that played there, Kiriakopoulos, I believe was his yep. name. Uh, he didn't look bad either. I mean, we have so many guys that can play that position uh, in the midfield. I want to see, you Liko know. Yanis too. Uh, you know. At left back, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's okay. You don't like him. Uh, he's, he's all right. <laughs> okay. I mean, we, we're comparing him to the quality of like Timikas and Jan, and Janulis. I'm sorry. I, I don't put Lee. Yeah, yeah fair play. Fair play. Fair play. Same level. In the midfield, I think uh, I, I, I'm seeing Ajax Galanopoulos start to come back and look a little bit like he did before his injury. And I want to see him and Zeka in the midfielder because Galanopoulos, uh, besides Alexandropoulos, I think he is the closest thing we have to an eight. I think he's the closest thing Greece has as a Greek player. I don't know anybody else. Maybe, maybe um, Madalo can do it. I don't know. We've seen it. We've seen him do that once or twice. I don't know if that's something that's in his skill set. Um, but I want to see Galanopoulos there. Right wing, left wing. I mean, guys, Solis has to be starting. You know what I mean? He has to be on the national team. And then uh, with, with Vursai or Limnyok, on the other side, those guys have to be like Solis. It's a no-brainer at this point. He's lighting up the Greek Super League. He's being looked at by everyone. He has to be a starter, not Pavlidis or Funtas on the left wing. I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. And Yakumakis has to be the striker because he is. It's it's amazing how good he is. He's scoring nonstop. 
I'm sorry, but if I see him bench for Pavlidis one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. And then last but not least, I haven't named the number 10 position because it's the most important part. Save the best for last. Fortunis is the starter. He is the starting number 10 for this team, not Bacasetas. Send him back to Turkey. He can hang out there, or guess what? You can make him the number eight. But Bacasetas is not a number 10. He's a second striker at best. Let him stay in Turkey. Leave him on the bench. I don't care. Should not be sniffing the number 10. Fortunis with Madalos as the backup. That's it. Well, back to today's game. <laughs> Real quick after the national team rant, as it usually comes. Antitoristikos said first, and who's a really good guy. Um, he wrote the article about our podcast in Greek and talks about the work we do. He's a really great guy. I got to know him last last month. Anyway, he asked first impression from Oleg. I think we went over it. Just great first impression and excited to see what he can do in the future. I don't know if you guys really want to add anything. I think we've commented on Oleg extensively, yeah. uh, both on the last pod, but but also today. Uh, love what we've seen so far. I think yeah. it's been a great signing. For sure. And next question then is from Fetanos. Fetanos, what's up with the good tweets, man? He goes, is Pauk just Ofi with a wonder kid on the wing? The finals that they play every game are showing. <laughs> Fetanos, man. <laughs> Thank you for that comment. And real quick, this wasn't presented as a question, but it's something I has annoyed me. Zolis's attitude, I don't like at all. Jose saw yelling out in pain after he shoved a knee into his chest. Doesn't even look back and check if he's okay. Zolis diving all over the field, diving in the box when he wasn't even touched, going looking up at the ref. This is the attitude of Greek prima donnas who flop. And I'm not going to be surprised if Zolis flops in the future. I'm sorry to everyone who hears this and is hoping he's our next Cristiano Ronaldo. The attitude is disgusting and he needs to leave Pauk if he wants to become anything in his career. You don't become a top player by learning from Pablo Garcia and scummy tactics like that. Just my opinion. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, dude. When you're in big games, I mean... I, there were nope. times if nope. I ran into somebody, I didn't look back to see if they were okay. I just picked up and moved on. It's his problem if he needs to get up. I don't, I don't know about that. That's Zolis not has really this huge. diving thing. He oh, the diving's diving different. Look, the diving's different. Like, the the diving's different. And I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with that because a lot of the derbies we've seen. I mean, the derby with Ike. Uh, there, there's been a couple of them where, where he's dove in the box. And then, you know, of course, all of Thessaloniki is in an uproar because he didn't get a penalty call for what was a pretty blatant dive. And yeah, I'm not a big fan of that either. I, honestly, I mean, he's young. He'll, that's something he'll grow out of, especially if he leaves, if he leaves Greece, like he's going to have to grow out of that. No one else is going to stand for it. I'm, I'm not super, I, he's, the, the thing is he has talent. He really does that, that type of stuff can get worked out of somebody, um, whether or not it's Pablo Garcia's influence, it wouldn't surprise me. But I think he'll, I think he'll be fine in the end. I'm not super worried about that. I'm going to take us on to the next question, where I'm going to read out one that we have from a, a Greek listener. So it's DJ Elias Seven. I'm going to read the question out in Greek, translate it. So sto agonistiko komati epreppe na viokostas fortunis aptomatse noto skorita na koma ena miden ego dethato nevgaza pados. So yeah, Elias is basically saying should Costas Fortunis come uh should should he have come out of the game at one nil? 
I think we touched upon this earlier, to be fair. Uh, yeah, I probably wouldn't have taken him off. But uh, but in the end, the game's gone uh, the way that we wanted it to. We got the second goal. Uh, we got a bit lucky with that. And then, yeah, we killed the game. So, yeah, I think he, as, as Ari was saying earlier, he was starting to get into his stride. Probably wouldn't have taken him off, but... But in the end, it hasn't um, it hasn't been a negative. Uh, it didn't have a negative impact for us. Agree completely. Yeah, I, that's hundred percent. I think we've all said it already, um, and that pretty much wraps up all of the content that we have for today. So thank you everyone for listening, especially if you've made it this far. Another fun show for us. You know, love a chance to really nah, not want to say rub it in our rivals faces but get a really emphatic win get some banter out there it's fun and thank you again for listening please guys give us a review five stars on apple Podcasts. it helps us reach out to the other uh greek football and olibiakos fans that want to listen to the podcast it keeps us up there leave us a comment Please, we love all of the community interaction that just pretty much makes fun of Lambro all the time. Love it. I have nothing to do with it. It's great. Love it when you guys do it. I will sometimes stoke the flames. I think it's fantastic. So if there's something coming from the Gate 7 social media accounts and it's making fun of Lambro, it's probably me. So go for it. Just keep it up. Love it. It's fantastic. One last thing before we go. Yamena Gerdiso Pauk. <laughs> thank you again for everyone uh again please like i said five star give us a review and until next time this is the gate seven international podcast